we are going to uh, be in the Gospel of John. If you have a Bible, we're going to turn to Gospel of John chapter 1. Wait, no, John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Today, verse 1. So we're going to be there. Um, and uh, as you're turning there, if you want to follow along in a Bible, there's a black hardcover Bible in the pew that you're sitting in. The, words, the verses will be up on the screen as well. Um, we invite you to bring Bibles to church and follow along. We talk a lot about uh, we want the Scriptures to be something that's more than just a Sunday morning thing. So one thing, way you could do that is to bring a Bible from home and maybe highlight a few things, make a few notes, and then spend the week studying what we read and, and applying it to your life. But in John chapter 3 is where we're going to be today. And we are in a, a sermon series, a series of teachings called Follower. And uh, if you were not here last week, we kind of introduced the series that was the first part uh, last week, so I wanted to bring you up to speed in case you missed that, because it's kind of like coming into a movie 10 minutes late, and you're not really sure what's going on, so I'm going to give you, bring you up to speed. And if you're like my kids, you, you come into a movie 10 minutes late, you just ask like a thousand questions. Who's that? What'd that guy say? And you know, all that. So I'm going to bring you up to speed a little bit. Um, we're doing this series called Follower, because Follower is a word that today means something very different than it would have meant when Jesus told his disciples to follow me. So follower today means, well, I'm going to click like on Facebook, or I'm going, to, I'm going to follow you on Instagram so that I can keep up with what you're doing. I'm showing you that I support you or that I'm a fan. I want to observe you from a distance. When Jesus called people to follow him, it was follow. It was a, a very literal, you know, follow. Have you ever been driving somewhere and someone said, well, I'll follow you there. So, and you're driving and you're looking and they're like seven cars back and you're like, you're not a good follower. You know, I'm way ahead and you're way back there. And I'm, I'm coming up on a yellow light. Do I go through? Because you, you, and I change lanes and it takes you a half an hour. You've been in that situation, right? And maybe you're that person that's a bad follower driving. Um, this is what we're talking about today. What does it mean to be a follower? Because with Jesus, he called his disciples, and it was very literal. Leave what you're doing and follow me. Spend time with me. Your whole life is different now. And when we talk about Christianity, being a Christian, that means so many things in our world. That means so many things in our culture. If we're watching football today and a player who had a good game gets interviewed after and says, oh, I want to give thanks to God, then we say, well, that's a Christian and we're happy and that's a good thing. But isn't it more than that? What does it mean to be a Christian? And really it comes down to this, and this is what we introduced this idea last week in our service. It comes down to closely studying and following the teachings and examples of Jesus. That's it. Study and follow the examples, and the teachings of Jesus. So when we read scriptures, all of scripture is good, and we believe that all of scripture is inspired by God. But as followers of Jesus, first and foremost, we should look at the things that Jesus says and say, well, that's what I want to do because I want to be a follower. I want to be a good follower that's in step with him, that's spending time with him, that isn't just a fan, or isn't just someone who watches from a distance, or isn't just someone who says, I'm a Christian, but that really only comes out on Sundays. We want to be followers, because that's what it means to be a Christian. So in John chapter 3, there's a story where a man named Nicodemus comes, and he finds Jesus, and he has questions about kind of what this means. So I'm going to read the first three verses of John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. I'll read 1, 2, and 3 right now. Now, there was a Pharisee, 
a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So we're going to stop there for a minute. So first of all, there's this man, Nicodemus, and it says he's a ruler of the Jewish ruling council. He is a ruler of the Jews. He is a Pharisee. So we've talked about this a number of times, and I'll just give a disclaimer. A lot of what we're going to be preaching today, if you've been in church, you're going to be like, yeah, I know it. You know, I've, been, I've heard it before. Um, if you have been around here, you know I've talked about the Pharisees. They were the rule followers. They were the ones that were the experts, the self-proclaimed experts, not just self-proclaimed. They actually were experts in Old Testament Jewish law. They knew the rules. They knew all the things you had to do to follow. And so we find, as we read on, the Pharisees were at odds with Jesus. They did not like Jesus. They saw Jesus as a threat. So Nicodemus is not only a Pharisee, but he's like a leader in the Pharisees. So that's who he is. And he comes to Jesus at night. And really, we believe, most scholars would say, and I believe this, he comes at night because he doesn't want his Pharisee friends to see him talking to Jesus. Because again, they see Jesus as a threat. So he comes to Jesus, and he says these words, we've seen what you can do. We've seen all the miracles that you can do. So that's how we know that you're from God. Okay, we've seen this we, and, and you'll see this everywhere in the Gospels. What happens is, especially at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, not many people know who he is. And so how do they find out who Jesus is? They see him performing miracles. And so obviously that's going to draw a crowd. People who are sick are getting healed. There's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. After that miracle where Jesus miraculously feeds 5,000 people, well, he draw, everyone's crowding around him. Well, of course they are, because they're poor. They don't have a lot of food. They're sick, and there's not really medical, you know, systems in place to take care of them. And they find a guy who's doing all these things. They're like, this guy's paying out. You know, he's, he's providing food and healing. So, of course, he draws a crowd. So, this is Nicodemus's um, frame of mind when he comes to talk to Jesus, and Jesus does this with Nicodemus, and you'll see him do this with all the crowds. Whenever they get too enamored with all that Jesus does, he's quick to say, I want to remind everybody, it's not just about me doing things for you. It's not just me providing miracles and food. And he says this to Nicodemus. He comes really quick and says to Nicodemus, I want to make sure you understand what this is all about. So Nicodemus is coming with this mentality, I've seen what you can do, therefore I'm interested because I want some of that power. I want to know how you perform those miracles. And it's not a sinister motive. This is just kind of what Nicodemus would have been thinking. But Jesus says the following words. He sees the motivations of Nicodemus' heart and he's quick to correct. And he says to him, very truly I tell you in verse 3, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you think this is a power of God just to add good stuff to your life. You think that following me is just going to be, well, I want to I wanna live my life, but I want to have the power of God on my life so that when I need something, God will provide it. When I mess something up, God will get me out of a jam. When I am sick, God's going to heal me. But otherwise, life's pretty good. So if I can take my good life and add some of God's power onto it, then it's going to be awesome. Now, honestly, we have a lot of people that 
approach Christianity that way, don't we? And maybe you've done that. I want to live my life. I want to do what I want. And then if I could just sprinkle a little bit of God on top of that, the whipped cream on top, right? The, oh, adding the God power on top is going to be extra awesome, okay? We have, I've approached faith that way at times. We all have, and we have a world that approaches faith at that time. And Jesus is quick to correct Nicodemus. He's always quick to correct his followers that it's not just adding God on top of your already good life. This is not addition. This is a transformation. It's a totally new start. It's like, it's such a new start, and Jesus says this to Nicodemus, it's almost like you're being born again. It's almost like you're being born again. He says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And so at the heart of Christianity, and this is what I want to talk about today, it's a very basic kind of message about what the gospel is. Because at the heart of Christianity are these ideas of salvation and heaven. We want to be saved and we want to go to heaven. Salvation and heaven. And this is Jesus talking about how to be saved, how to be part of the kingdom of God. So obviously as followers, we want to pay close attention to this. So we're going to talk about this today. When Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God, because it is a foundational idea for what we want. Now, I'll just make this disclaimer right now. The decision is yours if you want to follow Jesus. The decision is yours. I encourage you to do it. We've got a lot of people in here, 2911, the singers that were up here, they would also encourage you through song to follow Jesus. Amen? Amen. We have a lot of followers of Jesus, but it is your decision. And you can choose to not follow him. Scriptures have several stories of people who hear Jesus, encounter Jesus, and say, yeah, it's not for me. The decision is yours. But the point of this series, and the the reason I'm doing this as your pastor, is I just want to make sure we all understand what we're talking about. Because there's times where we hear born again, and we think, well, born again means crazy. You know, maybe you had family, where you're one of those born again Christians, aren't you? The ones that act all weird or get all crazy, right? You're those charismatic types. Maybe you hear kingdom of heaven and you think, well, that just means that if you do enough things, you're going to go to heaven someday. So really, I'm saying this to say the decision is yours if you want to follow Jesus. But if you choose to follow Jesus, I want us all to make sure we understand what we're talking about. Okay? So that's why we're doing this series. And we're going to have a few more weeks where we study what Jesus says when he calls people to follow him. I think there's times where, and we've done this um, There's times where we may not do an adequate job of explaining what that is. Maybe you went to a church service or a rally or some evangelism event, and at the end of the service they said, if you want to to be a Christian, raise your hand. And you raised your hand, and then you said a prayer. I imagine there's lots of people who have done that. Without any further instruction as to what that means, they probably wake up the next day like, you know what? What do I do now? You know, am I, should there be a follow-up email? Is there going to be somebody that gives me further instructions? So we've done a, a bad job really at preparing it of what it means to follow. Um, you know, there's not, there's not a follow-up uniform we're going to send you. There's not a badge, a vest that you wear that says, you know. But sometimes we raise a hand in church and we don't really know what it means. So that's why we're doing what we're doing today. So we're looking at this story of Nicodemus where Jesus says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. So I want to take those two ideas, born again and kingdom of God. That's what we're talking about today, okay? Born again. Everyone say born again and kingdom of God. <laughs> if you've been here a while, you know I, I, I always make fun of preachers when they do that, but that I did it right there. Repeat after me. Somebody say, um, okay, 
Born again, what does it mean? What does it mean to be born again? I've already mentioned it. Some people think, well, that means it's the really crazy Christians, right? The charismatic ones, the judgmental ones. If you talk to people in our world, well, the born-again Christians are the ones that are judgmental, and they just walk around telling everyone else all the wrong things they're doing. Nicodemus wondered this as well. Nicodemus obviously had a very literal, uh, something very literal in mind, because he goes on to say, well, how can somebody be born again? Nicodemus says, how, I'm a grown man. How can I enter my mother's womb again and be born again? He's kind of not getting the metaphor. Have you ever had a friend who's way too literal, doesn't really get sarcasm, doesn't really get nuance or metaphor or figure of speech? They're like, hmm, really? We're going to be born again? Really? Were you dying, rolling on the floor laughing? Well, no, I wasn't dying laughing. I was just telling you that I was laughing hard. You have those people who take it way too literally? This is Nicodemus. He doesn't understand the metaphor that Jesus is saying, but he explains it. Jesus explains it in verse 5. It'll be up on the screen. Chapter 3, verse 5. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. So I'm sure that didn't really clear everything up for Nicodemus. He's like, well, now I just have more questions. What in the world does that mean? But I've talked about this. We had our water baptism service a few weeks ago. I talked about this. There is a baptism that the New Testament talks about, a baptism of water. And then there's a baptism that the New Testament talks about, a baptism in the Spirit. So water, what Jesus is saying, and water in the New Testament in this language would symbolize purification, would symbolize becoming clean. This would be the baptism in water. And when we have a water baptism service, we we talk about going into the water represents that Jesus is cleansing you from your past and your sin. The baptism in water, when Jesus says, unless you are born of water, that means unless you've had your past cleansed and forgiven. That's what Jesus is saying. And then he says, and of the Spirit. This is the other baptism. This is the other thing that Jesus is talking about. And when we read in the New Testament about the baptism of the Spirit, it is the presence of God coming in us and filling us up. So the baptism of the water has been our past has been purified. Baptism in the Spirit is now that God's power and presence is in me and I can live a new life. So Jesus is saying unless your past has been forgiven and you have the presence of God living a new life, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Amen? It's a power that God has. We live a new life in the Spirit. We're not perfect when we become Christians. We don't have everything figured out, but what we have is God's conviction and His Spirit and His power living us so that we learn to live the new life in Christ. This is what Jesus is saying. Unless you're forgiven of your past and you live a new life in God's presence, God to lead you and guide you, you live for Him, you will not see the kingdom of God. So Jesus is saying, you want to be a follower? This is what it means. you got to have forgiveness, and then you follow. The old life is gone, and it's not just enough to get rid of the old life. You live new life now in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, in the power of God. And so I'm sure Nicodemus still has other questions. And so Jesus goes on. How do we do this? So jump ahead to verse 14. It says this. This is Jesus talking. All of a sudden now he's talking about Moses in the Old Testament. He says this in verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. And now we get to a verse that you maybe have heard before. So for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Amen? But Jesus is talking about Moses and the Israelites, and and Nicodemus would have known this part because he's an expert in the Old Testament. And this story comes from the book of Numbers, and I'll just mention it briefly. But Jesus is referring to a time when Moses and the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. And every time they would get into something difficult, every time something bad happened, they would gripe and complain to God. Say, this is not going well. We don't have food. We don't have water. We have the enemies who are chasing us. We're tired. You know, it's, when are we going to get to the promised land? All the times they would grumble, and God was trying to teach them to trust him. And so what happened in Numbers 21, the story of Moses with the Israelites, one more time, God was blessing them, and they just started complaining. There was something that happened, and they were just complaining and whining and griping. So what God did, and if you're a parent who's tired of your kid complaining, you wish you had power like this, right? Because what God did was cause what it says, fiery serpents to come up from the ground and start biting the Israelites, right? That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, kids? <laughs> I mean, not the, not the get really sick part, because the Israelites all got bitten by these fiery serpents. They got very sick, and some of them were on the verge of death. And what God tells Moses then is, because the Israelites, they, they smarten up right away. They're like, okay, God, we know we messed up, and it's our rebellion against you that caused this, and please have mercy on us and save us. So what God tells Moses is, have the people form a bronze snake on a rod, So, like, form a bronze image of a snake on a rod and then hold it up. And then what the story goes on to say is anyone who looks at the serpent on the rod or the stake will be saved. You will not die. So, all they had to do, I mean, they formed this bronze image on a stake and so a serpent on a stake and then they held it up. And anyone who was sick and about to die, all they had to do was look at the serpent on on the rod and they would be healed. So, this is what... God, or Jesus is telling Nicodemus, he's telling the story of Moses. Obviously, this is foreshadowing in the Old Testament of Jesus dying on the cross, and anyone who looks to the cross will be healed of their sin, will be saved from their sin, and they will not die, they'll have eternal life. This is why Jesus is telling this story of Moses from the Old Testament. Interesting, maybe. I find it interesting. You know, in the medical field, the logo that you see in the medical field is that serpent on a, on a rod. You see that on, in hospitals and the medical field. Well, that's where that comes from, is Moses holding up the serpent on the rod so that anyone who would look at that would not be sick anymore. They would be well. They would be healed. So this is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. He's talking about Moses. And it's obvious foreshadowing, something that Nicodemus doesn't know is going to happen, but Jesus knows is going to happen. He's going to give his life. He's going to be put on a cross and put up on a hill. And anyone who looks to that cross with a Messiah on it will be saved, will be healed, will not die, will be made well. So Jesus is teaching Nicodemus. And because it's written down, because the Apostle John wrote this down, he's teaching us, you want to become a Christian? You just believe in Jesus. You look to the cross. You believe that he died and rose for you. You look upon the cross and you will live. You will be born again. That is how you are forgiven your sins. So if you've been in church, you understand. You're like, yeah, I get it, I get it, I get it. But as we go through these next few months, I just want to make sure as we add more followers to our family, we want to be talking about the same thing. This is what it means. We must be born again. 
So sometimes at church, and we're going to do this today at the end of service, we give people an opportunity to respond, an altar call, where we just say, raise your hand if you want to become a follower of Jesus. There's nothing magical about raising the hand. But why we do that is we say we want to give you an opportunity to make this choice. And there's just something significant that happens when we say, yeah, not only am I making it in my heart, but I'm doing something physical to indicate that I'm making this decision. That's why we do it. So that's how you become born again. You don't earn it. You look to the cross where Jesus died for you, and you believe it. You receive it. And the second thing that Jesus said, he said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom of God. Some translations have the kingdom of heaven. So unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of heaven. Now, most people have a, have a pretty decent time believing, okay, well, he's talking about going to heaven. So I want to be saved and forgiven, born again, and then when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to see the kingdom of heaven. But that is not all that Jesus is talking about. I mean, heaven is awesome. It's going to be great. But it's way better than, than that. It involves way more than that. Jesus is saying that right now you can start experiencing the kingdom of heaven in your life. Right now you can start experiencing the presence of God. You can start seeing God making new all the things in this world that are broken. You can start seeing now his presence going with you and bringing light to others as well. This is not just a heaven thing. This is way more than that. So I want to illustrate this just by talking about a kingdom. He referred to it as a kingdom of God or a kingdom of heaven. So what is a kingdom? When you think about it, what is a kingdom? We don't live in a kingdom, but there are other kingdoms in the world. What is a kingdom? It's a dominion. It's you're under the authority of something. I mean, in our world, we would say, well, we're citizens of the United States. I'm not. I'm a citizen of Canada. Don't hold that against me. But we, but we don't have a kingdom, Right? But a kingdom is a dominion or something in authority. If you're part of a kingdom, you're under the authority of that kingdom. You also get the benefits of being in that kingdom. So when you're born again, you become a follower of Jesus, you become a part of the kingdom of God, the dominion of God, the rule of God, under the power of God, in the presence of God. This is, and that happens right now. Not just when you die and go to heaven. Right now. Amen? That's a good thing. So when you're born again, you're a part of the kingdom of God. So what that means is today, what you're going through today, what you're going to face this week, all the difficult things you're walking through right now, all the things you're worried about in your family, or the battles you've got to fight, the battles that you're in the midst of, right now you can walk in it knowing, I'm under the authority of God. I'm under the blessings of God. I'm a part of the kingdom of God right now. He goes with me. His presence is with me because you're a part of a new kingdom. That is Jesus saying, it's a transformation. It's not just get saved, be born again, and then go on living your, your old life until someday you get to heaven. It is now you begin to live in the kingdom of God. So I mentioned that I'm Canadian. I'll illustrate it this way. I'm Canadian. I have a Canadian citizenship, a passport I can show you. I got my papers with me if you're worried about that. Um, probably you, most of you are American citizens, right? Okay, so we're going to talk about Canada. And let's just, for the sake of this illustration, say it's the kingdom of Canada and the kingdom of the United States, okay? And we're a part of different kingdoms, all right? Everyone with me so far? Now, let's just say, for the sake of argument, that Canada represents heaven, Okay? Just randomly picking. It was as close as I could come. It's as close as I could get. 
Canada's not perfect, but it's as close as I could get to representing the kingdom of heaven. Now, let's just suppose that everybody here, your whole life you were saying, oh, Canada is the kingdom of heaven. It's so great. We all want to get to Canada. Let's just say that, okay? Let's just say, oh, if we could just be citizens of the Canadian kingdom, right? You want to go there. There's abundant life there. There's fresh water and trees and maple syrup and hockey supremacy and all those free health care and all these things, and you're just like, I want to be a part of the kingdom of Canada, and it's the dream of everybody. Let's just imagine that, okay? I know it's a bit of a stretch. Let's just imagine that. Now, let's say one day something happens, and you, all of us here, get a free citizenship to Canada, and it's just like, oh, yes. We now get to become a part of the kingdom of Canada, and you all get your citizenship, and we all go to Canada, and we celebrate. We are a part of the kingdom of Canada. Yay! Well, what if the next day half of you said, this is great. I'll see you later. I'm going back home, right? We would say, no, 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 you don't, you don't get it. You're part of this now. We're here now. This is the kingdom of Canada, right? You know, we're a part of that. If you left and went back home and said, I, that was, this was great. I'm going to go back to the old kingdom. We would say, no, you're not really getting what it means to be a part of this now. You are no longer a part of that kingdom. You're a part of this kingdom. You've missed the point. We're studying this today, what Jesus said, and with a not-so-perfect example of the kingdom of Canada. But we're studying this because I want this to be clear, because this is what Jesus teaches us about being a follower. It's not just add some Jesus to your life and expect good results. And many people see faith this way. Many people are opposed to church or God or religion because of this, because they say, I tried it, and bad things still happened. Didn't work. Have you ever heard someone say that? I tried religion, didn't work. Like they're on like a paleo diet. It didn't work for me, because bad things, I kept putting on the pounds, you know, and if I can't, you know, if bad things keep happening when I had Jesus into my life, then what's the point? And that's never been the point. If you don't believe in a God because he has failed to give you everything you want, well, the news is that God doesn't exist because God never said, just add a little bit of me into your life and I'm going to make everything better. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not an addition. It's a rebirth. It is now new life in the kingdom of heaven. It's a new life in a new kingdom. So the today, I'm saying this and I've said it before, the choice is yours to be a part of this, to follow or not. And everyone must make this choice. And eternity is at stake. What kingdom you live in is at stake. But as the pastor of this church, as we continue to grow and add people, I would never want to mislead anybody into anything other than what we're doing here as followers of Jesus. I would never want to lead you into thinking that church is about making friends and having fun and being encouraged, becoming a better spouse or a parent, um, you know, finding ways that we can clean up in the community and help out in the community. Those are all good things. Social justice, all those are good things. They're all good things, but that's not what we're about. Those things are peripheral, and they come after as we're a follower. We believe in fellowship, and we want to welcome people in. And if you're here just because of friends, we welcome you here. But I never want to mislead you to say that that's what this is about. Because this is about becoming a part of the kingdom of heaven, having our past forgiven and following Jesus. Amen? All right. The decision is up to you. You can live for him or not. You can decide what kind of kingdom, what kingdom you want to be a part of. 
And I'm going to be honest today, if you're here and you don't want to make that choice to be a follower of Jesus, you're like, yeah, I'm not there yet. I'm just here for the donuts and the friends and my kids like it. And I'm just here because someone forced me to come to church. That's fine. You're welcome here. We love you. We want you to be a part of this church. You know, we're not going to stamp your hand when you come in like non-follower and we're, or like a vest or something so we can identify you. We love you, and we want to have other people come in and say, I'm just here because I need some friends, or I need some help, or I'm just checking out this whole faith thing. That's great. But every step along the way, we're going to point people to Jesus. We're going to point people to Jesus. We're going to say it's about following him. And you might, uh, you might, not, you choose, might choose to not follow Jesus. And there's a room full of people here who would say, we love you, we support you, but if you're trying to find value and approval in life through this, through this, through this, we got people in this room who said, yep, I used to live for that. Let me tell you how that ended up. I used to live for that. Let me tell you how that, how that ended up. But the decision is yours, and you can decide. And I would love it if you would decide to become a follower of Jesus. One final thought as we wrap up. i got a couple minutes left. Final thought. Because some of you are like, yes, okay, gospel message. I've heard it before. I've been around church. Here's a final thought for us as followers of Jesus. How we deal with this living in a world of people that are not yet followers of Jesus, okay? We have a habit as Christians of taking this new life, taking this new citizenship in the kingdom of God, and then what we do is we tell the non-followers all the things that they're doing wrong, right? If you ever, maybe you have a temptation to do that. Maybe you've experienced that in your workplace. There's the, the Christian that all they do is they go around saying, that's evil, that's sinful, you shouldn't be doing that. That's evil, that's sinful, you shouldn't be doing that. And they're not even followers of Jesus. If you don't want to follow Jesus, you can live however you want, right? What Jesus is saying is not everyone should do this. It's if you want to follow me, this is what you do. So if you don't want to follow Jesus, you can live however you want. But we've, I, like I said, we've got a room full of people who would say, I lived for whatever I wanted, and it led to death and sin and depression and nothing but harm. But you can do that. The choice is yours. So again, back to our Canada and USA example, since it went so well the first time. Imagine if I'm a citizen of Canada, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of Canada, and all I did was say, you Americans, you need to use the metric system right? Because what's the, what's the American version, the imperial system, is that what it's called? Imperial? Okay. I know it's super easy to figure out, all those decimals and weird, you know, multiplying by three point whatever. Um, let's just say you're using the imperial system and you're evil because of it and you're wrong because of it. You need to use the metric system. You know, there's no, I look at your cereal boxes and there's no French written on it. It's only one language. What's up with that? You need two languages on your cereal boxes. That's what we have in Canada. You know, what if I just said all the things of what we do in Canada? You're evil for not doing it. All of you would say, whatever. We're not in Canada. We don't want to be in Canada. So why are you telling us that the way we're doing things is wrong? It would make no sense, right? <laughs> we have to stop as believers making our faith about changing the behavior of people who are not yet followers of Jesus, right? And we try so hard to do that, don't we? But it doesn't work, and it just makes everybody feel weird. Why are you telling me that what I'm doing is evil because you're a Christian? I'm not a Christian. I don't want to be a Christian, so stop telling me everything I'm doing is wrong. It doesn't work. And I know for some people it comes out of a good intention. We just want them to know that there's a better way. 
But it can't be about just telling them all the things that they're doing is wrong. If, as a citizen of the Kingdom of Canada, I wanted to convince you, I would simply say, let me tell you about Canada, right? Let me tell you about Canada. It's lovely. If you move there, like if you got saved, moved to Canada again, <laughs> you'd begin to learn about all it means to be a citizen of Canada. You'd learn the metric system. You'd learn to be funnier. <laughs> you'd appreciate French and desserts that aren't quite as sweet as they are in America. You know, you, telling people they're evil for not, for not using the metric system isn't going to make anybody want to move to Canada, is my point. Telling people all the things that they're doing wrong isn't going to make anybody say, oh, you're right, now I want to be a follower of Jesus. The approach is wrong. It's backwards. Anybody agree with that? Okay. And there is a conflict that we feel as followers of Jesus because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And yet, we're not in the perfect world. We're not in heaven. We are in that weird middle ground where we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven living in a fallen, hurting world. We're still living in the kingdom of earth, and there's that friction, and we all feel it. We don't feel at home because we're following Jesus, but there's all this fallen stuff around us, and we see it in our own lives. We're like, I'm still dealing with temptation and sickness, and there's all this evil around us. We're like, oh, man, it would, we look forward to heaven, but what do we do now as citizens of the kingdom of heaven living in this world? How we handle that friction is so important, and that's what we're going to be doing in the, in the coming weeks in this series because Jesus teaches how to handle that friction as followers in this world. And we're going to look at those in the next couple of weeks. But as we grow as Homestead Church, this is going to be an important thing. As we move into our building, people from all sorts of backgrounds are going to come, and they're not yet going to be followers of Jesus, and they're not yet going to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And they're going to have different views and behaviors and different backgrounds and views on sexuality, views on sin, views on the Bible, if it's true, views on all sorts of things. And the, the thing that we don't want to do, and you might disagree with this completely, but all I'm saying is as Homestead Church, what I want the fruit of us to be is not a spirit of, oh, you're doing that and that's wrong, it's evil, you got to stop doing that. It's a spirit of, we love you, you are welcome here, let me tell you about Jesus. That's it. We love you. You're welcome here. And we're going to point people to Jesus. And as they make that decision to follow Jesus, it's still not going to be perfect in their lives, as it's not perfect in our lives. But we say we're going to learn what it means to follow Jesus. We're going to learn what it means to bring our lives under the authority of the kingdom of God, under the authority of Scripture. And we're going to take those steps, and we're going to grow together. And our approach to the world we live in is we love you. Let us be examples. Jesus tells us. How are you going to be examples of Jesus? By loving people. By loving people. We love you. You're welcome here. Let me point to you to Jesus. Amen? This is what I want us to be about.